In part two of our look at Nexium, we'll discuss how Keith Ranieri shifted his ESP business more and more into a cult. We'll compare the Nexium model to Robert Lifton's eight criteria for a destructive cult. Take a look at how Keith targeted high-profile, well-off new recruits, how he managed to demean women, and discuss the first high-profile celebrity to be misled by Ranieri's bullshit. I'm Mike. I'm Ian. And I'm Dave. If you like short nerds with white Velcro shoes and matching knee pads for volleyball, stick around and swipe right. This Nexium cult might be for you. This is Necronomapod. I don't know, had some sort of a problem, and they were going to consistently going through to a certain type of person to solve this problem. Wouldn't you maybe, I mean, to go to, what do they say? To try the same solution to the same problem over and over again and expect something, a different result is a type of definition of insanity. You know, one of the, the things, so, okay, if you keep on going to the same type of people to solve the same problem and you're not getting a solution, not getting a solution, not getting a solution, better to go to a different type of person. I don't know, if you're trying to solve a problem and you keep on going to the establishment and you keep on getting the same answer, which is a non-solution, sometimes you want to go to something that's unique. I don't know if last week I I had like subconsciously remembered this or not, but I had a listener send us a video to an old family guy clip where they're trying to break into a vault and they're going through a list of security clearances. And the last security clearance is uh, Peter and Quagmire. And I think it's Cleveland are asked, what is the most the ugliest name in the English language? And it's just silent. And Peter goes, Keith. (laughs) And the doors just open. <laughs> and so I'm starting to think that maybe I remembered that episode and that's why I was shitting on Keith so much last week. That, but uh, I don't remember hmm. remembering that. So anyways. Did you get any feedback from fans named Keith this week that maybe you weren't no, too excited we about? We don't have any fans named Keith. And if, as soon as they st- start, I block them. <laughs> I say, fuck you, Keith. You don't deserve to listen okay. to us. <laughs> you go dig a hole and lay in it and then we'll bury you alive. Jesus. Keith. Oh, I'm Keith. Nice to meet you. <laughs> okay, thanks. Is Keith short for anything? Keithard. Is it Keithard? Yeah. Keith, <laughs> Keithard. Keithard. <laughs> I don't know. Keithilly. <laughs> I guess not. It's just Keith. It's just Keith. That's about as cute as you can get with it. Hmm. So, anyways, still an ugly ass name, I think. It's hate speech, Mike. I don't, this I, don't, guy. I don't have any problem personally with people named Keith. Well, you got a problem with Keith Ranieri, I hope. I mean, you guys out there banging kids. I I I don't like that part of the story. <laughs> There's a lot of mics out there banging kids too, though. There's no proof of that. You find me one mic pedophile, and I'll find you a made-up news story. I mean, you, if you don't hate the guy for banging kids, which we do, it's he's at least going to get you with that volleyball outfit, right? I don't love the volleyball outfit. You know who did love it? All the ladies of Nexium. Oh, they did. <laughs> It did. It's true. <laughs> that guy, there's so many things to, to like break down there. Like he's got like his gl- eyeglasses slash goggles. He's got on a teal t-shirt that is four sizes too big. <laughs> he's got on black shorts that are nut huggers, essentially. Like you can almost see the bottom of his nuts hanging out from him. <laughs> white knee pads, his white socks pulled up halfway up the shin, and then his white Velcro shoes. Mm. For being like the smartest man in the world, he didn't know how to tie shoes. He did. I think. Yet he was a, uh, and I quote you, pussy hound, was he not? He, he kind of was. 
See? A little bit. It worked for him. He listened. That's the thing. See, you listen. Yeah. I know women don't have a lot of great things to say, but sometimes if you <laughs> listen to them, it helps you get in their pants, I think. Jesus. <laughs> <Christ>. <laughs> There's one thing Keith Raniere's taught us all. Is sometimes listening pays off, I think. I never considered that before. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> <laughs> I was just watching The Office the other day, and it was the episode where, where Michael said something about needing to know whether or not girls were on their period. And they were like, why? He's like, so I need to know whether or not I could take you seriously. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, God damn. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah, you know, I've had that complaint said about me a lot of times in the past. Like, I wish you listened more. You don't listen. See? See, well, see what happens when you listen? You get people like Keith Rainier. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, so we dug some holes to start off tonight, or at least I have. Let's claw our way back. (laughs) All right. Well, part two, Ian, let's dive into it. Where we left off on part one, Keith had gotten into an exceptionally bad argument with his longtime girlfriend, Tony Natale, over a shrunken sweater, which led Tony to officially leave Keith for good. Oh, that's right. The baby gap sweater, right? (laughs) Small sweater energy, (laughs) I think was what was said. I think also Nicole, Napoleon complex, small well. dick complex, small sweater complex. <laughs> but he listens, Mike, he listens. Tiny dick, yeah, for sure. So he started a new business, executive success programs with his business partner and now sexual partner, Nancy Salzman. Like we said in part one, the plan with ESP was to sell it to high level corporate clients that Nancy had through her neuro linguistic programming business. But when they took one look at Keith's background with his failed business, uh, the pyramid scheme one, consumer byline, those corporate clients, like the ones from uh, American Express and some other high-level ones that she had, wanted nothing to do with ESP. Instead, they sold ESP to everyday people at a price of up to $7,500 for courses that last from that lasted from 5 to 16 days. And the first thing people were taught was to refer to Keith as Vanguard and Nancy as Prefect. Interesting names. Yeah, not too sure where Prefect comes from for Nancy, but Keith's name Vanguard comes from the 1981 arcade game Vanguard. The game was a scrolling shooter set in space to advance through various levels to finally beat a boss named Gond. That game first hit arcades in Japan and then came to the U.S. in 1981 and had widespread distribution in the following years when Atari released it on their home consoles. You guys probably played the Atari a lot, 2600, when you guys were kids, huh? Nope. Those cartridges, combat and air-sea battle? Nope. (laughs) (laughs) So, I have a very, very vague memory of Atari. That was my first. I have a very vague memory of I have no, like, I never had an Atari. I don't know anyone that had an Atari. I never did that. I was Nintendo. The original Nintendo system was my first. I remember going to get Atari games. Way back. Way back. Did you play Vanguard? I don't remember Vanguard. Ian, what are your thoughts on uh, him naming himself Vanguard? It's not great. <laughs> you know, I, I think we were texting about it and I said, I hate this guy. And now I hate him, hate him even more that he came up with his fucking guru name from, a, from an, an arcade game from the 80s. Like a really obscure fucking game. Can we just refer to ourselves now as names from old arcade games from the past? Because for the rest of the show, I want to be Johnny Cage. I have I have no problem with that. Okay, hey, settle down over there, Zelda. <laughs> Zelda. They call, they call me Zelda. Mm-hmm. 
I don't want to be Zelda. I want to be something cool. <laughs> Zelda was fucking awesome. Are you kidding me? Uh, I used to love Zelda. I don't like Zelda. That's past my time. You want to be Johnny Cage? Is that what you want? What's my favorite game? I used to love Mortal Kombat. Mortal Kombat's a lot of fun. Yeah. I like the Sub-Zero, though. All right. There you go. Maybe Sub-Zero. And Ian can be, uh, what was it, Raiden? 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 Yeah, Raiden. Raiden? Raiden? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Or you could be Reptile or... Uh, you mean Sonya Blade? Liu Kang? Liu Kang. Or Noob Cybot? <laughs> I think I'm out of characters. I don't know who else there is. Noob Cybot was the, the guys that made the game were Tobias and Boone, so they gave the guy Noob Cybot with their names backwards. <laughs> I didn't know that. Oh, God. That was awesome. Wasn't there, so there was Sub-Zero, Reptile, and who was, wasn't there a yellow one? Scorpion. 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 Yeah. That's right. Ian's like, motherfucker, sit down. I'll educate you on Mortal Kombat. <laughs> well, you, we know that this is real, that this is where Keith's name came from, because while he was living with Tony and Natalie in that house that they had together, they had a cabinet version of Vanguard in their garage that Keith would play all the time. But they played it off as, you know, it actually meant, you know, a Vanguard, like a whatever. Right. He had like a achieved, new idea guy or whatever Vanguard, the book definition of Vanguard is. He achieved that highest level of ketosis and was able, enlightened <laughs> and could lead these people. Like Scientology's operating Thetan advancement system, ESP based advancement around colored sashes that would be worn across the back of someone's neck. A white sash meant a person was a new student. And as you paid for more courses, you would advance to new colors. Yellow meant coach orange proctor, green senior proctor, and the longer white sashes were designated for Keith and Nancy only because they were the only truly enlightened ones that have hit the peak of this whole system. Oh, enlightened. I believe the Buddha is the only truly enlightened one, not the <laughs> Vanguard. Not according to ESP. <laughs> Aside from paying to move to a new color, a member also had to earn four red stripes on their sash before advancing to the next color. So you'll see if you watch any of the documentaries or something, you'll see people walking around with like one white or one red stripe on on their sash. So once you get up to four, then you can go up to the next level. It's so obviously just a pyramid scheme. It's hard to I mean, we say this every cult, you know, every cult show we do, but it's just hard to relate to being. I agree. Like when so you're susceptible just to that, like right? seeing this stuff, like. I don't know. My mind tells me, how do you not think this is like a, yeah. a cult? Like, yeah. you got to refer to these people by weird names. And even some of the other stuff we're going to get into here in a minute, just kind of odd. Unlike Scientology, Keith laid out a strict way in which members at different color levels were supposed to interact with each other. For example, members were always required to greet each other with a handshake. But instead of a normal handshake, Keith required that the lower ranking members put their hand out flat and the higher ranking member use both hands to embrace the lower member's full hand. Members were also required to bow to each other and participate in various chants before beginning classes. Best thing about this pandemic? No more handshaking. It really is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> the main idea of ESP was that the world is separated into two groups, parasites and producers. All people are born parasites, requiring dependence on others for survival but some people never leave that parasitic stage feeding off of producers to get through life producers being people who are independent and successful to make their own way through life if people wanted to shed parasitic behaviors 
they would have to fully commit to ESP and learn from the top producer, Keith. Who was really the the top parasite. When yeah, you, that's when a good way to look to at it. it. Yeah. <laughs> the method of how to get rid of those negative behaviors pulls straight from Scientology auditing. If we remember with Scientology, auditing was when someone holds a toucan-like metal pieces that are connected to the e-meter. When, while they talk about negative experiences, the dial on the machine goes back and forth and they get to that point considered clear and then it's logged and it's out of their mind. And Elrond called those negative thoughts or memories Ingrams. Was there any scientific basis for that word, Ingrams? Uh, I don't think so. I think he just made he that just up made it if up, I remember right? correctly. Yeah. Like Vanguard. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a Vanguard. Instead of auditing, ESP called this Explorations of Meaning or EMs. During an EM session, a coach would take a student through an analysis of negative behaviors or feelings. Once it was identified, with it usually being a childhood memory or some other negative experience, the coach would then be able to get rid of those feelings for the student. Keith promised that through enough EM sessions that ESP members would be able to get rid of the root causes of all negative emotions that were holding them back from success. This, um... EM stuff is very Scientology like. I mean, I know Ian, you watched that The Vow, the uh, the HBO series on this, and I started watching that Stars one too. And anytime yeah. anyone questions anything, they'd be like, "Oh, you got to go back and do EMs, so you don't question yeah, it's it anymore." Exactly. Yeah, but see, that's another example of like at that point, how do you not say, "Hey, maybe this isn't just like a self improvement program." Yeah, yeah. Anytime they questions everything, oh, well, you're only questioning it because you're bad. Whatever, how are they phrase? But you got to go get an EM. Get rid of that, so you won't have a problem with it anymore. Yeah. yeah. Like if you're trying to do a self-help thing, and it's immediately not about you, but the greater cause, mm-hmm. get out. It's not self-help. Right. Sure. I'm, I'm all for people who are trying to help themselves. Like, that's great. That's awesome. I don't mean to demean that. But, you know, when as soon as you bring up something and they're questioning you because you're questioning their, their overall, uh, mm-hmm. you know end goal then it's just i'm just saying you got to be able to spot it common it's hard to spot common but it's you know if they're good at it you know yeah look at jim jones best in the business sure the, the other thing that's really interesting about the ems from from this group standpoint is how good nancy salzman was at hypnosis that's another thing that pulls back from scientology like remember elron they said that he could just hypnotize people without them even knowing it he was so good <laughs> at it mike's laughing ian yeah, I well, hear him. Why couldn't he hypnotize those kids that were outside his apartment making fun of him? <laughs> I'm just like, he was getting bullied. He's like a 60-year-old man getting bullied. Is that when he had the clown hair and he, yeah. was, he was living in Queens? Yeah. yeah, and he fucking just looked disgusting and he couldn't hypnotize them. Elron, how about you audit my cock? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. He couldn't hypnotize those kids? Okay, that's that's all I'm laughing at. He's right, though. The hypnosis is, is uh, a part of both of us because you talk to someone like that. and uh, Absolutely. Like there's a lot of people that come that come away from the personal EMs with Nancy Salzman and they say that they can't recall a lot of time from it. They're like, I, it felt like it was yeah. just a couple minutes, but I was sitting there for like an hour. Yeah, that's it. Well, time flies when you're having fun. <laughs> sure it does. <laughs> So one thing I thought was really interesting when I was reading about about ESP was that um, Rick Ross is uh, one of the biggest cult experts. I always go to his stuff, you know, to read about cults whenever we're doing research for ones. And he has a huge thing about Keith Ranieri and Nexium on culteducation.com. 
But he laid out an argument for why ESP was set up like a cult from day one. Like when Nancy Salzman and, and Keith came up with this, it was a cult before they even started to introduce mm. it to people. Well, this is not Rick Ross, the rapper, right? It's a different Rick Ross. <laughs> right. It's okay. I just want to clarify. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> He's pretty prominent in that Stars documentary as well. Yeah, that's why I, I like the the vow is good because it's it's shot from you know it's it's all kind of point of view like following along with thing you mm-hmm. know the story of mm-hmm. these people defecting. I liked seduced a little more because it had the cult experts in there, right. kind of giving the opinion like w- why these certain things were happening yeah, and stuff. Yeah, I think the last one is this weekend, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. That's pretty interesting. Whenever you guys say the vow, I think of like some rom-com that's on like TNT on a Saturday afternoon starring Jennifer Aniston. <laughs> like that's what I think of when I hear like the vow. Every time you guys say it, the vow starring Jennifer Aniston, like Matthew McConaughey or something. That sounds right. Yeah. I'd watch that movie also. Just I would watch to it To be too. clear, I'd watch that movie. Two beautiful people. If it was J-Lo, I'd watch it even more. I'd watch it even harder. <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> I'd watch it even harder. <laughs> So Robert J. Lifton, we, we talked about him back in the uh, the Order of the Solar Temple episode and probably the other cult ones, too. But we really talked about him in that one. He kind of he wrote the the playbook, I guess you'd say, on, on cults and what makes up a cult. So what Rick Ross did on his website was he went through these eight criteria of a destructive cult and then pulled out examples from ESP's own handbooks to point out how these things that they're teaching right away fit into a destructive cult. The first one is milieu control. This involves the control of information and communication both within the environment and ultimately within the individual, resulting in a significant degree of isolation from society at large. So he pulls the quotes, quote, I will not speak of them or in any way give knowledge of them outside of ESP. Part of the condition of accepting into ESP is to keep all its information confidential. So the first rule of ESP is you don't talk about ESP. <laughs> right. Okay. I feel like I've heard that before. <laughs> no, I, I just so. wrote, I just made that up just yeah. now. It's good, Dave. Okay. It's Thanks. Good. Each student will be assigned a coach, a person of rank yellow or higher. The coach must not be the person who introduced the student to ESP. Each student will call the coach without fail on a schedule that is to the mutual benefit of the student and the coach. That one's interesting because that's going to fit in later on down here, too, into another thing. But that's pretty aggressive right away to have to call and keep tabs on people. Check in, essentially. I suspect it's always the mutual benefit of the coach and not necessarily the student, though. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Call my coach. He's like, oh, thanks for checking in. What were you doing? Oh, nothing. I was jerking (laughs) off to Casey Anthony. I don't know. Felt pretty good. This guy's got Casey Anthony on the brain tonight. Would yeah, you rather does. I said Britney Spears? No. No. Okay. No. All right. We're just going on the list. Demi Lovato? Stop it. I like Demi Lovato. Yeah, of course. Who doesn't? Gorgeous. Any hoodles. <laughs> Mystical manipulation. This one was a huge one in the Order of the Solar Temple, but it doesn't really have... The Nexium doesn't have any of this, but it's the manipulation of experiences that appear spontaneous, but is in fact planned or orchestrated by the group or its leaders in order to demonstrate divine authority, spiritual advancement, or some exceptional talent or insight that sets the leader and or the group apart from humanity. So that's like, remember we talked about on Order of the Solar Temple, how they had those 
those like laser shows and stuff and they would project pictures of Jesus up on things and stuff (laughs) (laughs) and they would give people acid and people would think that like all this shit was real. Yeah, that'll do it. The acid. Yeah. Nexium doesn't really do anything like that. It's rape kids. It keeps dick. That's the acid. That's the draw. (laughs) That's the the trip. Volleyball guys cock. That's what they crave. Fucking small dick Keith. Demand for purity. The world is viewed as black and white, and the members are constantly exhorted to conform to the ideology of the group and strive for perfection. The induction of guilt and or shame is a powerful control device used here. All right. Well, Quote. so if you're going to start throwing around terms black and white, Ian, have you even watched Square One? How dare you, <laughs> sir? How dare you? I digress. I have not. <laughs> After all these weeks, you still haven't watched it? Come on, Ian. It's what's fair is fair. You call yourself a researcher. (laughs) Getting ready for that big part three and four. (laughs) The quote from ESP shown an example of this one is quote, I pledge to purge myself of all parasite and envy based habits and replace them with habits of effort and interdependence. And Keats cock. (laughs) Confession. It's pretty self-explanatory. Sins as defined by the group are to be confessed to either to a personal monitor or publicly to the group. Quote, find an example in your life when you copied and did not give tribute. Apologize out loud for the group to the person you copied from and verbalize the benefit you received from copying. The hell did you just say? (laughs) (laughs) He's real big on this whole doing things yourself and digging into your brain if you've ever copied something from somebody else. And the the whole like we were talking about the parasite and the producer thing. Until you give a thought that you like question something. You know, for yourself. Yeah, you gotta go. And then he's, yeah, like, bitch. he's like, motherfucker to the dungeon. <laughs> well, because he feels guilty because he copied this whole thing from other cults. So, of course, he's going to express that uh, to the other people. Do we, Ian, do we get into that? Like, did, did, does he ever get into like that he stole from other cults or researched or read any cults? Or no, I mean, so he doesn't admit anything like that. It's just kind of like, but you can tell it's like a greatest hits of all the cults we've discussed, whether it means raping children or being charismatic or, you know, uh, Scientology and their ketosis and all that stuff. The Phaetons. Yeah, I mean, I think I think in the, it's in the first episode of Seduced, Rick Ross breaks hustling, us down hustling and, hustling every day i'm hustling every day i'm hustling <laughs> he breaks us down in about a minute and a half of everything that keith like everything keith Rainier used to to copy from to do this it was really? amway scientology yeah it was like a really thorough mm-hmm. like yeah this guy is not original oh, at all 90 seconds he just drops the bomb that wasn't seduced or the vow you said seduced seduced because from an outsider's view, when you look, take this holistic view of it, it's easy to spot all this stuff. I guess when you're being but that's you know, what, like, pulled into the cult. It's always so it's easy for as, us to look back and we're like, yeah, sure. how stupid yeah, are these But when people? you're vulnerable and you're yeah, pulled right. into that and you're, you're, you're uh, susceptible to that kind of language and hypnosis and whatever else, mind control stuff they're using on you, yeah. Yeah, it's just odd. Like you're looking for self-help, but you're just being molded into a group. I don't know. Well, it's harder to reel people in that don't need self-help. So people that are searching for that something, they're already. No, uh, I understand. I understand that. A vulnerable 
population. I that's think. definitely the way you want to go, I guess. It's, I mean, that's what we've been doing for two years now, right? In our cult. Targeting these people. We've been people? targeting all these people that need self-help <laughs> to listen to our show. We're a couple of ridiculous drunks. I don't know why anyone would listen to what we have well, to say. Uh, yeah, yeah. We're a bunch of, quote, con- a, a bunch of ridiculous drunks. We have no idea what we're doing. And everyone should just listen to us and enjoy us and just have a good time. We will own your souls. <laughs> You will like, you will like. <laughs> You'll never get this. <laughs> we will get them to the proper level of ketosis, and then we will have them. Patreon now. Patreon now. Cozy. <laughs> Buy our stuff. <laughs> Ian's like, are you guys done? Can I, can I move on? <laughs> this is why we were not in vote divided to promised land. <laughs> <laughs> So the next one is sacred science. The group's doctrine or ideology is considered to be the ultimate truth beyond all questioning or dispute. And there's no truth to be found outside of the group. Quote, what is the mission of our school? How does understanding ESP's integrated matrix help us determine destructive patterns of human behavior and give us clues as to what is to come? We are now at the highest level of technological advancement in human history. The lifestyle current technology affords us has never existed before on this planet. Human civilization has had rises and falls for centuries, yet it is our belief humanity cannot survive another fall. All members of the human team must understand the historical reasons behind this tendency so we can change it and survive. We believe this is the ultimate cause because it means our existence and all other causes and our existence depends on this knowledge. The mission of ESP is to develop an integrated ethical framework of human experience to stop the destruction of value in the world and move humanity forward. This practice session explains ESP's mission and gives students a clear knowledge of how and why we need to act to change historical trends. Uh, uh, okay. It's just nonsense word soup. I feel like if you sat, if I sat down with a bottle of bourbon in the room all day, I could come up with this cult stuff. It's not, it doesn't, that doesn't we even, could, we could, says nothing. We could probably come up with a pretty badass cult couple of bottles course. of bourbon sit around all day like you're pulling from this you're pulling a little bit a little, from that a little word salad it, does, it doesn't even say anything that's just nonsense the, the, the line that makes it fit to where you know that this truth is not going to be found outside the group and all that stuff is the bit about our existence and all other causes and our existence depend on this knowledge. So it's basically saying that the existence of humanity and moving forward yeah. depends on the stuff that Keith Raniere is teaching. Okay, Pally. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you say so, Keith. It's every call, right? Yeah. You're the chosen I'm, one for I'm this not trust- bit of knowledge. I'm not going to trust a guy who plays volleyball and Velcro shoes. <laughs> I should have went for as Keith Raniere for Halloween. You should have. I could have pulled that off. <laughs> Fuck. Just do it this weekend instead. <laughs> what are you doing? You want to play volleyball? I'm what starting, are you doing? I'm starting a cult. What the fuck are you doing? <laughs> Loading the language, the group interprets or uses words and phrases in new ways so that often the outside world does not understand. This jargon consists of thought terminating cliches, which serve to alter members' thought processes to conform to the group's way of thinking. So examples are parasite, producer, the EMs. Um, they call their members espions. <laughs> There's a whole list of stuff. There's other terms that are just basic everyday words, but they have a, they have a new meaning now oh, behind yeah. them. 
thought terminating cliches doctrine over a person members personal experiences are subordinated to the sacred science and any contrary experiences must be denied or reinterpreted to fit the ideology of the group there's nothing in that one with mm. with nexium so that's one of the few they got away from from uh, robert lifton's criteria na and then the last one dispensing of existence the group has a prerogative to decide who has the right to exist and who does not. This is usually not literal, but means that those in the outside world are not saved, unlightened, unconscious, and they must be converted to the group's ideology. We, you know, every cult we've talked about so far has this. The only one that really had it literal was Um Shinrikyo because they tried to kill a whole bunch of people. Right. Uh, I mean, Jonestown was getting there with the language, talking about, you know, th they talked numerous times about killing people that weren't on their side. Mm. What about that one weird cult that we talked about where you have to accept their zombie carpenter guy as your savior? You can't go into their heaven mm. place. I don't know, Dave. What it's is kind that? of the same thing? Right? <laughs> I don't, what cult is that? I don't remember. I don't remember the name of oh. it. Hmm. It was the same thing. The only way you could get into their heaven was to to, to accept this, this zombie guy, right? And he would free you like you have to admit your wrongdoings. Yeah. You're like, like, I EM, accept I like accept, an emotional moment or whatever that yeah, talk was. I accept the resurrected zombie carpenter so I can go up to heaven. If you don't, you're shut out. Mm, I, I, I just find similar we'll parallels. Here. <laughs> we should. We'll, we'll do a show on it's that a, cult. It's a dangerous day. cult, man. It's done a lot of stuff. We're going to cover it a little bit uh, on the periphery in my in my uh, show about uh, torture devices incidentally well, I don't think people know <laughs> the about Spanish this one. inquisition did we did we uh talk about that on this show i thought that was just a bonus show we had mentioned it that's true it's coming up as a bonus episode so so for those of you who are not on patreon run don't walk to the patreon sign up page dave is doing his first show as the researcher slash uh narrator Ian's done all of ours. I've done a couple for Patreon. It's true. And now Dave's doing his his debut performance coming to Patreon in December. Sign oh. the fuck up. Oh, why wouldn't you? $5 a month. <laughs> We're going to torture some motherfuckers. For dispensing existence, quote, remember that espions understand the model, but non-espians do not. I'm a proud non-espian myself. <laughs> his language gets pretty dark later on like years later and stuff you know with the, with the whole us versus them kind of idea mm -hmm. but i just thought it was really interesting how just right out of the gate when this was started and the the, the handbook is written for this group it already fit all six out of the eight criteria for a destructive cult so clearly a lot of forethought like we said pulling pulling stuff out of other cults off the bat I mean, he's, not, he's, he's just a smart guy. There's no denying he's not a, he's a smart guy. He knew what he was doing, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. So, but what was the reasoning behind all of it? Was it that he just liked fucking women? Was it that, like, when we talked about last week, when his dad said he found out he was, quote, smarter than everyone else, he, he was like a Jesus moment? Like a God complex kind of right. thing? I like, think there's a little bit of that involved here. Is it just all of that? Just because he can and because he likes having that allure over women like a power thing because yeah, he only targeted probably. women you don't hear a lot about men in this group 
It's like a power thing over women. And when he finds he can get women to do stuff based on his... His what? His, his good looks, yeah. his charm. You know, whatever. His knee pads, his, his speech pattern, however he talks to women. And he's like, ah, I think I can do something with this. Let's build on this. Yeah. It's just weird. Like, this one's just, I don't know. It's odd. Yeah. The Yeah. I, I think it's a lot of the sex. I think it's a lot to do with money. I think those two things go hand in hand with him. As we do with most cult guys. I mean, most of these guys, yeah. it's all revolves around money and sex. As does everything else in the world. <laughs> I think one of the biggest reasons why Elrond never really collapsed, you know, Scientology never collapsed on itself or had any like really, really big falls like all these other groups have is because he didn't do the sex stuff. He didn't fuck around with that. He was all about the money. Yeah, that's a good point. It lives on to this day. Yeah. And from anything that I've read, there's no really wild allegations of sexual abuse going on in Scientology and stuff like that. So yeah, we never covered anything like that. There was not even a hint of it. Mm-mm. I think that's one of the reasons other why kinds of abuse. So successful. Remember they locked everyone in the, in the trailer yeah. for like months. Yeah. <laughs> Wasn't that one of the people that got out and ran away yes. and then they caught them three States away, like yes. in North Carolina. It was crazy. And fucking brought them back. Yeah. Good God. <laughs> As with many cults, the recruitment is a very big part. And with ESP, it was key to bring in new people. This was built like a pyramid scheme. So the more people you brought in, the better. And once you hit level of proctor, which was having your orange sash, you would start earning money for the people that you recruited. Nancy Salzman was a huge recruiter right away in building ESP's following. She brought in friends and family, including her daughters, Michelle and Lauren, who at the time were 19 and 22. One friend that Nancy brought in was someone that we talked about last week, Barbara Boucher. Imagine bringing your kids into this. Mm. Barbara was an extremely successful and self-made woman who worked as a financial planner responsible for managing a total of $90 million and earning 900000 a year at the time that she joined ESP. It's not a bad living. Yeah. Like many people who get pulled into something like ESP, Barbara was going through a traumatic time in her life. Her best friend had just committed suicide and she was going through a divorce. So she immediately took to this message of ESP, this whole self-help stuff. And after six months, she was in a romantic relationship with Keith. Lucky her. Around this time, Keith would start to publicly claim that he was celibate. But as we know from the outcome of this, that's absolutely not true. He was having sex with the three roommates that he was living with when he met Tony Natale, Barbara Boucher, Nancy Salzman, and even Nancy's daughter, Lauren. Did Nancy know he was plowing her daughter, too? Probably, I, I would first, say. But eventually, yeah. eventually she did, for sure. The way these fucking people are acting and, and just love this guy. Mm. What'd you call him, Mike? A pussy hound, right? Pussy hound. The shoe fit. If the condom fits, right? I never actually called him that. I <laughs> took that out of the last episode because okay. he was banging kids. Oh. But but I did off air refer to him as a pussy hound. Oh, so wow. we can keep that in. <laughs> pussy hound. Now, now that we're talking about adults, I would sure. not refer to him that sure. when he's fucking raping kids. Like well, a, it's a different piece episode. of shit. Keith didn't stop at his inner circle. He would have sex with many women who made up ESP's membership. Keith refused to wear a condom, saying that unprotected sex with him was a form of an energy exchange. <laughs> so this obviously resulted in many pregnancies and unwanted abortions. 
Pam Kafritz, who we talked about last week, who was one of his three roommates, became someone that the staff at Planned Parenthood recognized because she brought so many women through to get abortions. Keith would go as far as to tell women that getting an abortion was a good thing because it would help them lose weight. Oh, man. This guy's a monster. Man, Fucking I'll tell you what. Psychological I, abuse. God damn that, that That line really... Uh, like every time like i'm like i hate this fucking guy and then i read the vanguard thing i'm like mm-hmm. i really fucking hate this guy <laughs> and then that one was like man that is so over the line and ridiculous yeah it is <laughs> ian's typing this outline his like cl- uh, fists are clenching he's like i'm gonna punch <laughs> oh. my computer i gotta be honest like these, I, this is guy i would love to punch in the face oh for sure like, all these guys are terrible with he might be guys. a top five this he might be just, a top five yeah but he'd have his knee pads on and like his little goggles and shit yeah. when you punched him just saying, make it count. You think they did like punch cards at the abortion doctor? Like every oh. seventh abortion, you get, you punch like six punch cards, you get the seventh abortion free. Oh, God. Repeat customer. Meanwhile, Keith's like, but you're losing so much weight. It's great. <laughs> yeah, and we'll see that, that that him saying that makes sense. We'll get to that in part three, the, the type of women that he's attracted to when we really get into the whole sex slavery aspect of this. Mm. He likes very thin women. The heavy recruitment was working, and soon ESP was offering classes in Alaska, Manhattan, Seattle, Boston, and Mexico. In Mexico, Keith would pull in people from very wealthy families and people from some very top political families. Like We're talking the daughter, at the time, the daughter of the president of Mexico and the son of a former president of Mexico. How crazy is that? Yeah. However, in 2002, Keith would lock in two people that would allow him to legally pursue his enemies, Claire and Sarah Bronfman. The Bronfman sisters were heiresses to the Seagram's fortune, like the Seagram's liquor and all that. Seven crown. Seven and seven, Mike. You like those? I do love seven and seven. I think we talked about that before. I haven't had seven and seven in ages. I liked, I started drinking seven and sevens because that's what De Niro's character drinks, uh, Jimmy Conway and Goodfellas. That's right. But then I also heard, and I have not watched Sopranos, that that's what Tony Soprano drinks. Someone hmm. told me that once and I have not seen it, but I heard, so I was like, oh, I guess a lot of mobsters drink uh, seven and sevens. It's been a long time. I don't remember that. Maybe we should do a show where we drink seven and sevens. What seven is a seven, seven and seven? I've never had one. The Seagram seven crown and a seven up. Well, Seagram Seven Whiskey. Yeah, you said okay. Seven Crown. Is that, what's is that I don't know. Seagram Seven Crown. Maybe I don't know. Is that what it is? I think so. I always just call it Seagram Seven. But yeah, so it's Seagram Seven Crown or whatever that whiskey is, and a Seven Up. Yeah, that was the, so. It's a whiskey and Seven the Up. The main whiskey from Seagrams. Yeah, I've never had one. It's all right. I mean, it's it's cheap whiskey. Yeah, I didn't think Seagrams was making like really high end stuff. Ah, it's just no, just a good drink. Blended Canadian whiskey, right? Get some crushed ice in a glass with that. Mm. Or blended American. I guess it's American whiskey. Blended American whiskey. It's not great, though. Their father, Eggard Bronfman, had an estimated net worth of $2.6 billion, And both Claire and Sarah had multi-million dollar trust funds at their disposal. Mm. Sarah was the more outgoing of the sisters. And she was looking for something more to life when friend Susan White recommended that she try the self-help courses offered by ESP. Sarah was also going through a divorce at the time. That seems to be a real um, trend with a lot of these women that join Nexium or ESP. Vulnerable women? Yeah, he's able to... Something that he was saying to these women that were going through divorces, he was able to immediately hook them in. Mm. So she was immediately hooked and told her sister Claire about the courses. 
Claire was more skeptical of ESP, but Keith had a series of one-on-one meetings with her that flipped her and got her to join. It's not clear what went on in these meetings, but Claire left just as into ESP as Sarah, if not more, because according to many members close to the inner circle, Claire fell in love with Keith almost immediately. Mm-hmm. Having the Bronfman sisters wasn't enough for Keith. He wanted their father, Edgar. Keith pushed to meet Edgar, but it wasn't as easy as Keith expected. After Edgar divorced, got a divorce from Claire and Sarah's mother, they didn't have a great relationship. So unlike their other siblings, the girls lived outside that whole billionaire lifestyle. Uh, like no thanks. To, yeah, no thanks. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't go to the private schools and all that stuff. I mean, they were still, mm. you know, they had their trust funds and they grew up very, very well off. But they, they weren't in that whole billionaire lifestyle and they didn't really talk to their dad too much. So that I think that explains some of this because they didn't know how to spot predators who were looking for their money, right? If they would have grown up in that lifestyle, they would have been able to spot this guy. That's yeah, that could be a good point. Fair point. That's something you teach. I mean, when you're a billionaire, that's something you learn growing up like that. Dave's like, oh, my upbringing, that's a billionaire <laughs> family. I learned that you got to spot people coming a mile away. They're always looking to get something from yeah, you. That's part of being a billionaire is looking, you know, recognizing people that are out to separate that money from you. As soon as fucking cool down media takes off, I hope to be a billionaire one day. <laughs> you're on your way, pal. Keith pushed and eventually got his meeting with Eggard. And it kind of sounded like this was a chance for Eggard to embrace something that his daughters were passionate about to maybe build on a relationship with them. So he, he was all in on it and would start having Nancy Salzman personally give him ESP courses for $10,000 a session. So Keith at this point's like, I got the fucking mother load here with this guy. Oh Yeah. Yeah, he's just got an an ATM whenever he wants. Oh, yeah, for sure. We'll be right back. So at this point, Keith was having tons of success with ESP and claimed to have 3,700 members across the world. However, with all that financial success, there were taxes to be paid. In avoiding taxes, Keith created an umbrella corporation to shield himself from direct ownership of ESP, and he called this new corporation Nexium. Nexium. Nobody wants to pay taxes. Pay your taxes, asshole. What happens when no one pays taxes? We don't have a fucking fire department. Your house burns down. Dick. The same year that Nexium was formed in 2003, this also gave Keith his first setbacks. The first was with a member named Kristen Snyder. In 2002, Kristen Snyder took her first ESP course in Alaska. Per the Times Union, Kristen Snyder traveled to Albany a few months after her first ESP course to meet Nexium leadership, including Keith Ranieri. According to reports from former Nexium members, it could take members years to meet Keith, so them meeting quick was really, really unusual. Ugh, you know, you watch a documentary and, and they all stand in line to meet him and he kisses every one of them on the lips. It's so fucking disgusting, this guy. That is creepy. Yeah, he shit. kissed everybody on the everybody. lips. Everybody. <laughs> Awful. It's like a line to kiss this fucking clown on his lips. COVID, man. Gross. Where's your mask, Keith? Dickhead. (laughs) In February 2003, Kristen Snyder grew disillusioned with Nexium after attending a 16-day intensive in Alaska. Heidi Clifford, Kristen's spouse, told Times Union she was, quote, sleep-deprived, delusional, and suicidal. After last being seen leaving the hotel where the intensive was held, Anchorage police 
believe Kristen intentionally capsized her kayak, causing her death, and left an apparent suicide note in her notebook. Her note read, quote, I attended a course called Executive Success Programs, a.k.a. Nexium, based out of Anchorage, Alaska, and Albany, New York. I was brainwashed, and my emotional center of the brain was killed, turned off. I still have feeling in my external skin, but my internal organs are nothing. Please contact my parents if you find me or this note. Her parents' names are redacted. I am sorry, life. I didn't know I was already dead. May we persist into the future. Kristen Snyder. No need to search for my body. Well, that would be a troubling note to read if you were the parent. Terrible. Imagine, but you're just trying to go to this simple self-help course and like this is where it takes you. you Right. If this is even where it really took you. Yeah, sure. Investigative journalist Frank Perlato, who we talked about, we brought him up on part one. You know, remember we said he kind of he really had it out for Keith almost to a personal level to report on him with the Times Times Union. And then he has his own Mm -hmm. website, the Frank Report. He reported that before Kristen Snyder's suicide, she made an announcement during her 16-day intensive that she was pregnant with Keith's child. Nexium coaches told the rest of the class to ignore, and she allegedly just kept going on this delusional rant. It's unclear as to whether she was escorted out or walked out of the hotel building, but her body was never found. Frank Perlato believes that the suicide note might have been forged and points out issues with the handwriting in the note and Kristen's signature at the end. He has a whole thing on his website showing, you know, side by sides of her handwriting, her signature. Her spouse has also went on record saying that she does not believe that Kristen committed suicide and that note was not something Mm. that she would have written, that, that that is not her handwriting. So we're suggesting that it's possible that... She was murdered and this was staged. That's what has been suggested. Mm. If Frank's reporting, he, he kind of backs this up, his, you know, uses to back it up that there's another mysterious death surrounding Nexium and Keith. Three months before Kristen Snyder disappeared, Gina Hutchinson, who we talked about on part one, that was one of the 15 year olds that he had sex with and she bought into Consumers Byline and stayed through. She died of an apparent suicide, and her body was found a couple hours away from Keith's home. Police ruled that she'd died from a, quote, self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head. But Frank Perlato doesn't believe that her death or Kristen Snyder's were well investigated, and they, they were ruled suicides too quickly, saying, quote, In both instances, the police did not know, or no one made them aware of the influence that Keith Raniere had in these two women's lives. Keith went on to claim that Kristen's death was a, quote, hoax and that she's still alive. Frank goes on to say, quote, Keith claimed that a photo of Kristen Snyder and Heidi Clifford was taken at the Grand Canyon several months after Snyder's disappearance. Barbara Boucher and Kristen Keith both told me they saw the photograph, but it was taken from such a distance that it's not possible to identify the women in the picture. Would it not be unusual that a 15-year-old girl would commit suicide by shooting herself in the head. Well, she wasn't 15 at the time. It was years later. She was the 15-year-old from part one. Okay. Yeah. So this was much later. Okay. Never mind. I would say that would be pretty strange, I think. It's unfortunately, though, I think that that kind of stuff happens, right? Maybe not to that extent, but you you have people you read about every year, like younger and younger kids are committing suicide. Sure. It's terrible. Well, especially when a fucking pedo like that 
Yeah. Fucks you up. Well, you're fifth when you're 15. Sure. So regardless or not, if she killed herself, he's still responsible, I would say, right? At least partially, probably. The argument could be made. Mm. If she, in fact, killed herself also. Right. Yeah. Frank, he he really implies that, especially with Kristen Snyder, that there's something really off about that one, especially with her claiming to have been pregnant with Keith. She met him really, really early which is rare. I mean, from Keith, his track record. Yeah. He probably had sex with her. I mean, he was having sex with everybody. You know, I, I don't know. It's, a, it's, a, it's definitely not something that Keith would want popping up in the news is a suicide note that specifically names his organization. Yeah, probably not good for PR. Yeah, that's a good point. And how, like how he just wrote it off as a hoax. I mean, there's multiple ex members and people have come out there like, yeah, we were told in this big group setting that this was not, this was a hoax. She was still alive. So at that time it was pretty easy for Keith to dismiss this to his followers. But the Forbes article that came out in 2003 was a bit harder for him to dismiss. Keith was having sex with multiple women in his inner circles and had to manage all their feelings. In this, he forgot about Claire Bronfman's feelings, who we said she was basically she was pretty much in love with Keith. Claire had always felt overshadowed by her sister, Sarah. And when Forbes did their interview, Claire felt that Keith and Nancy were giving Sarah all the attention. Angry, Claire went to her father, Eggard, and told him about a two million dollar loan that she had given to Keith. Uh-oh. This official, Uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this officially got Eggard to quit taking any ESP courses, and he went on record with Forbes saying, "quote I think it's a cult." <laughs> I bet he did. <laughs> hey, wait a minute! That's my money. This might be a cult. <laughs> <laughs> Forbes also pointed out many issues with Nexium regarding the possibility that it could be a cult. But more damaging, it focused heavily on Keith's past with Consumer's Byline and what he had been doing legally to Tony Natale. Which was all that abuse, right? Like he was just harassing her and making her life a living hell. Which we, and we just lawsuit after lawsuit. Yeah. yeah. Holding up her bankruptcy for years, you know, all that stuff. Right. Fucking Scientology level shit. Yeah. Keith was furious that Claire had told her father about the loan and demanded that both sisters cut ties with their father. Uh, like I just said, Claire was in love with Keith and would do anything to get back in his good graces. So she agreed to Keith's terms along with bringing Barbara Boucher on as her new financial planner to manage both of the sisters money because Keith was sleeping with Barbara. She didn't question why the Bronfman sisters were spending outrageous amounts of money on Nexium related things. <laughs> $1 million to redo Nancy's mansion. 1.7 million for a Nexium headquarters, 2.3 million for a Nexium horse farm, and a $20 million check for unknown purposes to a Nexium controlled side company. And Claire would also be the financial support behind all of Keith's legal attacks and harassment of enemies, like we talked about with Tony Natale, and literally anybody else that he considered an enemy of his. Mm-mm-mm. You know what Claire's father said when uh, he found out about the $2 million horse farm? What's that? Nay, nay. (laughs) (laughs) Can can you imagine? Imagine it's your daughter. She's spending 
your fortune on this fucking clown? No, I'd be... Holy shit. Well, the clown that you've been taking courses from. Also true. You enabled it a little bit. But he probably well, you know, was just like, you know, like, he's a smart guy. You know, he's running an international company. He's probably like, all right, I'll take these fucking dumb courses because my daughters like it. Right. Next thing you know, your bank account's drained. Mm-mm-mm. Well, and, th- and that's how Frank Perlato came into the picture as someone that just made it kind of his life's work to to go against Keith. Was He was brought in as like a publicist to write good things for Nexium, and then specifically to destroy people mm. that were okay. like he was supposed to write bad things about people and it to him it was presented to him as these were people that were really trying to go after nexium and nexium didn't deserve it and then when he got a feel for things and he started asking some questions about like the money that was being spent by the bronfman sisters all of a sudden he was now an enemy <laughs> and keith ranieri tried to destroy him legally and like turn stuff into the FBI on him and stuff. He's like, nope, I'm not giving in to you. And he just made it his life's mission to expose yeah. Keith Raniere. Well, good for him. But the the biggest money expenditure with the Bronfman sisters was Keith claimed to have come up with a mathematical equation to earn millions in the commodities market. This was obviously a failure. And Keith ended up losing $65 million of the Bronfman sisters' money. <laughs> Hmm, not so smart, right. are we? So, Keith. Com- commodities trading is a little complicated, and uh, I don't think <laughs> Keith knew what he was doing there. <laughs> oh, boy. Keith explained this away by telling them that it was their father, Eggard, manipulating the market to steal their inheritance. What the sisters didn't know, and most likely because of the conflict of interest, was that this wasn't the first time that Keith had done this. A few years before, he had talked Barbara Boucher into the same thing and lost half of her life savings. How much was that? Holy shit. Uh, it was a little over $600,000. Mm. He's like, well, if I just have a little more seed money, I'll do better oh, this right. time. $65 million ought to do. You imagine giving this guy $65 million? No. I couldn't remember to give this guy my vagina, but <laughs> women did. <laughs> With complete financial support and no repercussions, Keith expanded Nexium to aim towards preying on women. In this, he started a side group called Janess, which that name has no meaning at all. I don't even know where. I was just about from. to ask you. So it's J N E S S. So it has no meaning, yeah, it, huh? Yeah, it means nothing. <laughs> Nexium means nothing either. Well, yeah, good point. The first meeting for Janess took place in Vancouver, Canada, at a weekend-long meeting attended by the Bronfman sisters. Nancy and Lauren Salzman and other high-ranking women in Nexium. Janess had its own website, but it no longer exists with everything that's happened. But it was decorated with pink and purple accents and claimed to be a, quote, women's movement that facilitates an ongoing exploration of what it means to be a woman. In all reality, it was an extremely misogynistic group designed to break women down. According to witness testimony, Jeunesse members were taught women are, quote, irresponsible, if not narcissistic, self-absorbed, and inclined to cast themselves as the victim. Being part of the group was also very expensive. There were 11 eight-day workshops, which reportedly cost Jeunesse members an additional $5,000 each. For fuck's sake, this guy. I think we'll see next, w- next week, yeah, how horrific <laughs> they treated women. Yeah, it's... Uh, it's crazy how he was able to 
pitch this stuff is that, that it was like a, a women's empowerment thing, but really it was, it was absolutely terrible. Mm -hmm. Once you're in, you're it, in, man. Once, once they trust you, you can talk them into anything. Right. Cause he had all these yeah. other women working for him, mm -hmm. telling the girls, Oh, this is great. This is fantastic. It changed my life. Female lieutenants at the top selling it. I think that's part of it. I, they haven't played it too much in the, um, uh, seduced. But in the vow, I think it's, I want to say like episode seven or eight, towards the end of it, there's video from these Jeunesse meetings and stuff. And the things that he is saying, I don't understand how the women just sit there and listen to the shit that he's saying, but he had them roped in that this was yeah. going to make them better. But it's some of the most sexist and ridiculous shit I've ever heard. Mm. The real reason that all these high ups attended the Jeunesse meeting was because Keith found out that Smallville actress Allison Mack was going to be attending. Keith viewed Allison as kind of the same way Scientology views its celebrity members like Tom Cruise and John Travolta to have that recognizable face to show to the public and how well this system works. Yeah, I really didn't know who this girl was. I mean, I don't know who any celebrities are. I think we've established <laughs> yeah, that pretty we know well on the show. <laughs> uh, I but I heard... definitely didn't know who she was. I've never watched Smallville in yeah, my life. I haven't either. I had heard her name before, but I did not know who she was. She's not a Necronomapod celebrity. We don't even know who you are. She might be after this. Allison was showered with all this attention from powerful women like the Bronfman sisters and pitched all the benefits that ESP could, could bring and help with someone like her with reaching those Oscar winning roles that, that they said that they could do for people. <laughs> of course. Yeah. At the end of that weekend, Lauren Salzman invited Allison to come to Albany, New York to meet Keith. So she hopped on the Bronfman sisters private jet and flew to New York. And that is where we will pick back up on part three. See you next week. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> it's heating up here at the, uh, at the old Nexium. Three parts we're doing on these motherfuckers. Who'd have thought? It's wild. Who'd have thought? Yeah, next week we're going to see how Keith completely flipped Alice and Mac into getting her to the point where she is going to be sentenced pretty soon as uh, in a racketeering charge for sex Damn. trafficking. Well, that's not good. Cute, cute girl, too. Unfortunately, she got caught up. Mm. You look into this stuff deeper, too, like... Like, I'm seeing an article here where, like, Allison Mack tried to recruit Emma Watson into this. Like, just feminists. Like, she tried to get into this. I sent that to you guys a couple weeks ago. Did you? Yeah. I said, here's a flashback to when she's recruiting Hermione. Oh, that's right. You did. I forgot about that. <laughs> I'm just Googling Hermione. now. <laughs> when I was looking into this story. <laughs> Man. That's wild. Yeah, we're going to... Yeah, next week, it's really going to pick up. Next week, we're going to really get into the sub subgroup he created called DOS now he basically set up a pyramid scheme of sex slavery and he was at the very top of it interesting stuff man it's fascinating uh, how these how these cults work and what the the MO they used to suck these people in yeah like look, take Allison Mack how we just ended this episode she went there for a self-help thing where she thought that she was gonna get you know be learned better things as a woman and you know goals that she and reach goals that she can as an actress mm. and by the end of next week she's gonna be head to prison for sex trafficking amazing not in a good way yeah no <laughs> not not a great end of that story. <laughs> i didn't like how that came out <laughs> that's what she said 
All right. Interesting show. Mm. Yeah. I can't wait for next week, actually. I want to hear how this ends because I literally know nothing about this. I'm learning as we go here. Obviously. 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 Uh, Ian, any final thoughts on part two? Uh, Nope. I think I'm good on it. Dave, you got any final thoughts on uh, part two? Nexium? No. I was curious how this ends up. Looking forward to next week. Okay. We got some Patreon shout outs. Thank you very much to Tyler Matledge, Katina Newman, Christy, Danella Aldrich, Timothy Lamb, Kayla Peters, Will Kindler, Brian Connick, Chelsea Russell, Lauren, Chris, Courtney Miller, Chris Mivel, Jennifer, Justin Hessen, Girth Brooks, Jessica Berman, and Adam Connor. We appreciate you guys very much. We are at patreon.com slash Necronomapod. Did you just say Girth Brooks? Girth Brooks. <laughs> it's a powerful name. I like this trend that's been happening the past couple weeks where people are slipping in these uh, <laughs> these wild names for you to read. That's <laughs> uh, pretty funny. Girth Brooks. Has that been a trend? I honestly have not noticed. Something else was last week or the week before that was pretty ridiculous. I can't remember. <laughs> there was something that. funny. Uh, Ian, you got any uh, reviews, for shout outs for us from iTunes? For iTunes, I have one for Don't Shoot, I'm Drunk. Gen G. <laughs> <laughs> I do that to the cops all the time. Don't shoot, I'm, don't shoot, I'm drunk. Uh, Gen G. Zephycor the Wondrous. Chris4067. Kevin Crenshaw. LOL Chris and Hepburn 84. Thank you guys for the awesome reviews. Dave, you got anything else? No, nah, I got nothing. Not a single thing. Not a single solitary thing. That's the end of it. All right. We are on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube at Necronomapod. We have some special guests introducing us on our YouTube episodes. So after you download our episodes, our newest episodes on your uh, preferred podcast platform, uh, go check out the YouTube intros that we've been uploading the last couple weeks. Um, who knows going to be here this week? Who knows? Mm. Maybe, maybe nobody. We don't know. I don't know. Maybe nobody. Um, we also have koozies and stickers available at necronomapod.com. Click on the merch tab. All kinds of cool stuff there. And then if you go to amazon.com and search necronomapod, we have hoodies, zip up and pullover, t-shirts, and long sleeves and tank tops. Men's and women's available. Amazon.com slash Necronomapod. If you are overseas, they do have some limitations going on right now because of the pandemic. Bear with us. We hope to have those back up soon. I think that about settles it. Sounds good. All right. You guys ready for a cool down beer? Cheers. <laughs>